Aloha, this is Judea. I'm a psychic intuitive energy healer coming to you from the island of Kauai. And hello, this is Patty Davis, and I'm a psychic intuitive medium, and I'm coming to you from Northern California. Welcome to Spirit Speakers Podcast, where we have discussions about a variety of topics from two different psychic vantage points. Hello and welcome to this episode. This is going to be a really fun episode. It's a Q&A episode and we've gotten so many questions. We put that out there on Instagram and on our website and we mentioned it on our last episode and we've gotten over 200 questions. So we want to thank you for that. If you don't hear your question, we apologize for not being able to get to it. Or if you hear your question and it's tweaked a little bit, that may be because we combined a couple questions together, but we are going to get through as many as we can today. And it's super exciting because we're doing this Q&A to celebrate our second year anniversary. And as a little backstory, we've told this before on our last anniversary, but when Patty and I started this podcast... Every once in a while, her and I would get on the phone and have these amazing conversations. And we would always joke about how we should record ourselves and start a podcast. So we were like, yeah, let's just try it out. And we recorded one of the conversations and we were like, this is actually really cool. Let's put it into a podcast and see if we get any listeners. And I think both of us expected only to get, I think we joked around. Yeah, we were like, (laughs) maybe we'll get like 50 people. That'll be cool. And it just grew and grew from there. And now we have such an amazing community of listeners who really resonate with what we're talking about, which is super exciting. So when we started this, we sort of just kind of slapped together a logo and made an intro really quick. We weren't really certain that it was going to take off. It wasn't actually our intention, but now that we're here, we decided for our two-year anniversary, we're going to do a little revamp. We redid the logo. We updated the website, a new intro song, which you've just heard, but not to worry. It's still the same vibe. It's still Patty and I talking about all kinds of cool things with all of you know that we are dropping each new episode on the new moon of every month. So you can look forward to that particular day. And what's also very exciting about this podcast is I have traveled all the way across the ocean from the Island of Kauai. Now I'm up in Northern California in Patty's hood. And it's kind of exciting because I haven't seen her in years. So we took some pictures together and now we are actually recording the podcast in the same house, but the joke's on us because we couldn't figure out how to record it without feeding back on each other's microphone. So she's on the other side of the house (laughs) with the door shut (laughs) and we're still doing it the same way, but we, we are technically in the same building. All right. We decided to do a Q&A and we got a ton of questions, which is, I think the first time we did a Q&A for our first anniversary, we maybe got 30 to 50 questions. This time right. we have over 200. So thank you for everybody who wrote to us and gave us some topics to cover during this podcast. But speaking of questions, we are so appreciative of you as listeners reaching out and asking us questions, but As we grow, we found that we've been getting a lot of questions very often, and we're kind of starting to feel bad that we're not able to get back to all of them promptly and coming to a point where we might not be able to get back to your questions at all. So we just want to kind of extend a little, we are super grateful. We love interacting with you, but please do not be offended if we cannot respond back to you. We're going to do our best to answer as many questions as possible during uh, this episode tonight and future episodes. And hopefully if you have a question, if you can just hang tight, that topic may come up later on. Like for instance, we had a lot of questions about the Akashic record and we have planned on doing a future episode on the Akashic record. If you submitted a question and you don't hear it answered on this episode, we will keep those and try to get to them in future episodes. All right, Patty. So let's get into it because we have a huge list of questions here. Uh, We're going to try to keep these ones a little more brief, but we will refer you to previous episodes where we may have covered some of these questions in greater depth. So let's start with the first question. All right. The first question is, How do I know when the inkling or knowing is real and not just a thought? 
practice, practice, practice. That's what, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say too. The more you practice, the more you'll get to the place where you can recognize the different vibrational frequency or the different sense or feeling that you have when information comes in, it just feels different. When something is your imagination, it has a different essence than when it's coming from spirit or a psychic hit. For me, it's kind of like it comes from the outside rather than being initiated from the inside, like from my head. And then the next thing you do is you ask for validation. And the more validation you get, the more you trust yourself, the more empowered you feel and the easier it comes in again. But it just takes a lot of time. Right. I think experience is key here because in the beginning, when you have intuitive gifts, there's so much information coming in and you know, I, at least in my experience, I had to learn how to rifle through what was worthy of being listened to and what wasn't. And if you're somebody like me, who's open up to a lot of dimensional planes and frequencies that can be very confusing. You know, there was a lot of things I experienced in my psychic reality that I never got a validation to, but then there were certain things that I did and that I would notice over time patterns, maybe a sensation or a feeling, and everybody's going to be different for me. It's an ice chill from the top of my head all the way down. I get chicken skin, as we say, like goosebumps. And I know when I'm getting that chill that there's valid information coming in for me in that moment. But it took me a number of years to recognize that that is my hit for getting really valid information. Yeah. And, and it's never 100%. There are things that Jude and I miss. There are things that our imagination kicks in. For me, I love that cold sense. I didn't know that about you. That's interesting. For me, it's a little bit of a time glitch or time warp. It's almost like time stands still and it presents itself, which sounds really weird. And it's hard to totally describe how that is. The more you do it, the more you ask about it, the more you'll get familiar with the certain sense or the certain feeling or the vibrational frequency, and you'll be able to identify what's coming in from another source. Another thing that happens for me is the pattern of threes. And I know there's a lot of people out there who also have that three thing like I do. I will get things three times. And it's always like the first time is like, whoa, that's crazy. The second time I take note, wow, that's interesting. That was serendipitous. And the third time I'm like, okay, I'm sold. I get it now. And it's kind of like, I lock in that frequency. I lock in that memory of what that vibration or that feeling was. So I can refer back to it. For example, I've talked about this in previous podcasts where you sort of as a intuitive professional or not kind of build up your own vocabulary in the psychic world, your own symbols, like what a rose symbolizes to me may be different for Patty, but both of us, if we see a rose, it symbolizes something very specific for us or will invoke some certain type of feeling to know that this is the type of information or this is the message that needs to be passed on according to that message. And that's a very loose example. But usually by the time I see something three times, I know that that is what this means. Interesting. Uh, the next question is very similar. So I'm not even going to read the full question, but it is, how do I know the difference between an overactive imagination and actual perception? Again, you know, imagination is not a bad thing. Imagination helps us take what's coming in and understand it and put together a visual or a scenario so that we understand what it is. I think they work hand in hand. You know, when we get information from spirit, we might get little bits and pieces and our imagination helps us put together a full story. Sometimes we don't get the whole thing. We just get bits and pieces. So don't put down your imagination. Imagination is amazing. But again, kind of, as we were saying before, you'll get to a point where you can have a better understanding of what you are putting together out of strictly what you know from the past and forming a scenario or what is coming in as new information that you have not perceived yet. Well, I also theorize that we live in a multiverse, you know, there's multiple dimensions, multiple planes of existence. And I think there's probably relevance to your overactive imagination in one plane of reality or another, but it's being discerning about what actually applies within this third dimensional reality. Like that comes in with being very grounded, like two feet planted in this plane and being able to apply information into this reality or those people who get super lost in the woo woo and are airy fairy and can't really relate with what's going on in this reality. doesn't mean that what they're perceiving isn't legitimate or true and correct on some level in some way. It just might not translate into this third dimensional plane as clear or as directly. And, and I think what separates somebody who's really good at being psychic or strong with their gifts 
is somebody who knows how to differentiate what is connected to this third dimensional reality and what exists in some other dimension that is so far separated that it's, you know, not worth obsessing over, I guess is a way that I would say that. So the next question is, when unexplained things beyond normal happen to you, how do you keep your sanity? How do you know if they're real and you're not just crazy? Well, I will confess to you, that's my first question all the time. (laughs) Oh my gosh, am I going crazy right now or is this actually happening? And I'm sure all of you have said that if you saw something like, am I losing it right now or am I actually seeing that? I always go through that question. I think that's fair. I think that's also being humble too. I think if you just jump on every single thing you hear or perceive and take it as like absolute truth, and that's where people can get kind of lost in the clouds a little bit. How do I know if they're real? I always use this term. I put it on the shelf. I don't need to understand it. I don't need to validate it or explain it in the moment. I take note. I put it on the shelf and I let it go. If it comes back around again, then it has relevance. Then it takes on meaning. Some things in my reality have taken over a decade to come full circle. Something that happened in my earlier twenties might only make sense to me now. So I do this thing where I just put things and experiences on the shelf. If it comes up cool, I do not obsess any longer. I used to when I was younger, but I don't anymore. Either it has relevance to me or it doesn't. And I let it go. Otherwise I'm unattached. Nice. I like that. You know, I would kind of say finding balance. If we were just fully open to everything that's out there, all the multiple dimensions, all the ghosts that are hanging around everybody, all the entities, it would be really difficult to live a somewhat normal life. And until we expand to some of these higher dimensions ourselves, it's beyond our abilities as humans to handle too much. And this is where sometimes a lot of mental illness comes into play is when we perceive too much. We allow too much to come in without having intentions or boundaries around that. So I think to keep from going crazy, you know, is to make sure that you keep things in check and that you make sure that you're not overwhelmed by what's happening around you spiritually. And again, that you keep things in balance. And I am one of those people that you're talking about you that I have never wondered if I was crazy. I more wonder what's wrong with everybody else around me that they can't see these things. (laughs) It's kind of like, for me, it's just factual. Um, right. But that's funny. <laughs> I, I was always the opposite, but I can tell you all from my personal experience, what Patty is saying is true and correct. Being grounded and balance and you having your protection up. I was somebody who was super open and I was getting bombarded with so much information from lower dimensions and higher dimensions. And they were all interlaced with each other. And I didn't really understand it was too much and it was overwhelming and being grounded and having your protection up really buffers and filters a lot of the excess. So it kind of comes in, in a way that I can understand it. And as I said before, sometimes it's taken me many years to understand something that I couldn't understand when I was younger that I totally get now. That's just a part of the process of uh, becoming more skilled with your gifts. Good. Nice. Yeah. And all of these questions sort of go in alignment with the next question, which is for those of us who are new at this, how can we learn to cultivate trust that we are actually connecting and communicating with spirit? And once again, it goes into practice, 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 the more experience, don't get obsessed and hung up about trying to understand every little nuance, buzz, light, glitch you see within your spectrum audio sound that you hear, you'll drive yourself crazy doing that. I speaking from experience, I really suggest for people is to take note of things, set them to the side, see if it comes up later and makes sense to you. If it's meant to be understood, I really feel that spirit will guide that answer over to you. I think when you start stretching and looking and obsessing over stuff, you'll find answers and everything and you can just confuse yourself. I think it's important that you let go of expectation. When we use our imagination, what we're doing is we're forming a story. And if you think if you were going to sit down and you were going to imagine your spirit guide, you know, you might be like, oh, it's a female. Wait, no, no, it's a man. No, it has, she has pink hair. No, I think she's riding a horse. No, I think we kind of go through a place where we try things out in our brain until something sounds right. So we're working with our past experiences and our expectations. When spirit's talking to us, it comes out of nowhere. It's unexpected. It almost surprises you. You know, when we talked in our episode on spirit guides, 
I was going in with the full intention of meeting a female goddess and I ended up with a little man monk, you know, and I was not expecting that. So for me, that made me trust in the experience because it's not something that I was forming or even desiring or expecting. So you can trust it if it's coming out of nowhere, you know, if it just shoots in without a buildup or something, or you didn't have a thought that triggered it, it has a totally different feel to it. And again, and this is going back to the first question, just the more you practice and the more you get to know yourself and know the way you personally perceive energies and information from spirit, then you will start to trust it by the way it's coming in and the way it feels. Right. Be patient with yourself. You can't expect to know everything and get everything overnight. It's going to take time. Okay. The next question is, how do I know if I'm headed in the right direction? For me personally, it feels good. It, you know, it feels like it's leading to growth or expansion or empowerment or a better sense of self. And, you know, going through life and changes and spiritual growth is not always a walk in the park. You know, there are times when we're actually on our knees sobbing over this experience, but it should feel purposeful, not like it is depleting you. If you're doing anything that's depleting your energy or that's leading you to do things against your morals or something that just feels like it's not feeding you, then it's not the right thing. If you're feeling fed in some way, then I would think you were in the right direction. I do agree with that. I have clients all the time who tell me they hate their job. They don't know where they live. They feel like everything is a struggle. And to me, this is a no brainer that everything about your spirit is saying that the situation is not good and it's time for a shift. But also for those of you who do feel that way, but it doesn't feel like an easy out, like maybe you're married with children, you're not financially independent, you can't leave because you have family members that depend on you. There could be all sorts of reasons. I would suggest doing some deeper balancing doing some energy work on yourself, clear out some of that stagnant energy and see if you feel better and you feel clearer about the situation. Sometimes it's not always that you're on the wrong path. You just might be bogged down by energies and you need a little bit more clarity. So that's when you need to start treating yourself and taking care of yourself, going to find energy workers and healers or psychics and intuitives that can help bring you some clarity. But I have to agree with Patty too. If it doesn't feel exciting, if it doesn't give you life, then why are you doing it? <laughs> it's like, I, you know, I think that there's something to be said. There's some magic in manifestation when you're really excited about something. And I feel like it opens up doorways for things to manifest very quickly that align with what you truly desire. But if you're feeling depressed and hopeless and low, that's really going to slow the energy down and things aren't going to come into alignment for you quite as quickly. So. Yeah, that's good. I was answering it more as how do I know I'm on the right path spiritually? So I'm glad that you addressed being on the right path in the third dimensional space, too, oh, just oh, your life, you know, it's right. good because it could be either way. Yeah. Yeah. So we have two questions on being more present and grounded, asking for exercises to help be more present and grounded and asking us to speak on grounding and protection and different ways to do it. And we are going to defer to our grounding episode because we do a full episode all on grounding and protection and different ways to do that, how to know if, if you're achieving your goal in that. So we would like to send you over to there. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I think that's one of our earlier ones yeah. and a really important baseline. Okay. I love this one. The more I connect spiritually, the less grounded I feel like energy leaves my legs and feet and concentrates around my head and heart. Any advice? Jude, do you want to start with that one? I mean, that sounds correct though, because to me, the lower chakras are more about that physical space and connection to earth and this more third dimensional plane. And those upper chakras are really tapping into higher frequencies, communication with spirit or intuition, inner vision, all of that. So 
I would have to agree with this person who sent this question and is like, yeah, you would probably feel more activations up in the upper chakras when you're going through a more spiritual experience. I would almost suggest to reflect or mimic the activations you feel in the upper chakras in the lower chakras too, like channeling that energy down and feeling that same quality of buzz or movement or flow in those lower chakras and taking that if you're feeling an activation in the crown, drawing it down to the third eye, into the throat and making its way down into the heart, the belly, the sacral, down the feet, into the earth. So you can move that energy. You have the power to do it. But I'm also agreeing that as we're going through these spiritual awakenings, yeah, your upper chakras are going to feel like they've been opened and that there's new energies flowing in those spaces. I totally agree with that, Jude. That's great. Um, also, I'm just going to bring in the next question because it's very similar. I get tingly sensations around the back of my neck and in my aura when I use tarot cards, talk to my guides, meditate, or feel connected to spirit. I think this is the same thing. We all get different sensations and we're all affected differently by our work and our spiritual awakening. Whenever you're connecting with a higher vibration, you are going to sense it both energetically and most likely physically. And this is just energy manifesting into the physical. And so for this person, when she's working with tools or connecting with a higher vibration, she gets that tingly sensation in her aura or in the back of her neck. And that's just where she's feeling it. Just like Jude was saying, some of those higher chakras. I like this too, because for me, when I'm reading people, I tend to see higher vibrational connections with spirits starting around the heart chakra up. And the reason being is we're starting to raise the frequency as we get up into the higher chakras, whereas spirits that I see connected more in the heart are there for comfort and love and protection. But when we get up into the throat chakra, that's really where communication is coming in. And if you're going to be working with tarot or doing mediumship, we are literally talking about allowing spirit to communicate through us. So it makes sense that you would feel that on the back of the throat. And for me, when I'm reading the throat chakra, a lot of the times the divine spiritual gifts come in through the back of the throat and then extend out and we deliver it through the front. So I'm going to say, feel validated that you are tapping into spirit and uh, they're trying to communicate through you and with you through the tarot and your guides are coming in. Good for you. That's a great answer. I like that. Okay, next question. This is interesting. I've been hearing a lot about chakra removal, that it keeps you from having to clear things. Is that true? Don't I need my chakras? Well, that's a shocker for me. A chakra shocker. <laughs> I've never heard of that in my life. I don't, I've never heard of removing chakras. I don't know if this is like a new modality. I'm not going to validate it. I'm not going to deny it either. I don't know. Maybe there's something with it. I've never heard of it. Patty, have you? Uh, no, I actually took notes on some of these questions. And my note is WTF, question mark, question mark, question mark. I kind of um, feel the same way. <laughs> I'm like, I, I love my chakras. Yeah. I well, love my chakras. They're not like your tonsils. You know, this is where we we receive and process energy and the chakras is just a map or an explanation of how we do that. It's not something static that can be put in place or removed. So, um, yeah, I kind of call bullshit on that one. <laughs> Sorry. I look, I've, I'll be the open-minded one and say, you know, prove me otherwise, but I personally love my chakras. I love working with them and yeah, it's hard work. Of course, when we don't like things and it becomes a chore, we always want to dismiss it. It's always better to toss it out, I guess, than actually address it. But that's kind of the beauty of, of the spiritual growth is like looking at that uncomfortable part of yourself and working on it and then bringing it into a higher light. If it's a thing, I've never heard of it. I wouldn't suggest to you all to throw away your chakras or whatever that spooks me out a little bit to be honest with you. But as Patty said, I think it's simply a roadmap to your energy body, to your soul and how your soul connects with your physicality and how you bridge, you know, your frequencies, your inner vibrations to your physical experience is done through these chakras. So yeah, that's very interesting. I'm curious if anyone else has heard about this, maybe you can comment on Instagram. And I'm sorry, now I feel bad for calling BS on it. Yeah, I've never heard of it. But it just you know, so far fetched. It's my instant reaction to Patty is like it just it hit me the wrong way. Yeah. So you know you got to trust <laughs> you got to trust that. <laughs> well, it just I mean we're we are constantly perceiving and reacting to energy. You can't shut that off. 
You know, it's interesting. Somebody mentioned something to me, a friend of mine, about somebody who said, who had this beautiful, loving dog or a pet for many years and then had to experience the pet dying. And they were like, I'm never getting a pet again because this is all some trap that we've put ourselves in to now have to experience our pet dying. And I'm thinking, but why would you deny yourself decades long of the love and the sweetness of that animal just to avoid the heartache of like that moment? This is a dualistic reality. There's shadow and light. That's part of it. And I guess, okay, if throwing out the chakras means then I don't have to deal with the crap that comes with it. But then you're also denying yourself some of the beauty that comes with really invigorated, alive, open, beautiful, empowered chakras too. So I guess that would be my say on that. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Thank you for giving us that question. It's, it's interesting that neither one of us have heard from that. Okay, I'd like to hear more about the Claire's and the education people could seek to expand on their gifts. Um, we did go through the Claire's, didn't we, Jude, in one of our, our episodes? Do you know which one it was? Yeah, what one was it? We did cover the different types of gifts, but I do not recall what episode that was. Okay, I'll just walk through them real quick. There is clairvoyance, which is about clear seeing, clairaudience, which is clear hearing, clairsentience, which is feeling, sensations, and claircognizance, which is clear knowing. Those are the main four. There are many, many of them. And so again, this is how we perceive energy. Some of us hear things. We hear voices. We hear a whisper. Some of us feel things. We feel tingly or a hot flash or a cold flash or an ache in our stomach or goosebumps. And some of us, you know, see things. So the more we practice, the more we understand how we perceive things. Cause you know, you might be looking to see something and spirits whispering in your ear the whole time and you're just not seeing it. So those are the clairs. And then the, the next question is what are the typical physical sensations of intuition or the clairs? Again, you can hear whispers. You can have ringing in your ears, hear words, clicking, whistling. If you get things through clear hearing, through clear audience, you can see shadows. You can see colors and auras, sparkles, orbs, ghosts. You know, you may see things super clear. There's so many different physical sensations that we can pick up on. And again, this is all about getting to know yourself and knowing what it is that you are picking up on. So the next time you get a whistling in your ear, you know what that means and you know how to pay attention. Do you have anything to add to that? It's hard to put my finger on, but there is a clear distinction of when I am visually seeing something And I might see it clear as day. I'll say as clear, as clear as you are in front of me, for example, a a full embodied spirit, I clearly have a distinction between it being a living person and a spirit. There's like a quality of energy to it. That's undeniable. I don't know if I've ever met or experienced a spirit that I was not sure if they were actually a living person or not, or if it ever did, I never figured it out. And same with the clear audience is there's a certain quality of the way things sound within the physical plane. And there's a, like I said, I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's a clear distinction when I'm hearing something that is coming through clear audience. It's almost like it's coming from a different room or a different space. That's my personal experience. You know, with clear audience, sometimes I'll hear something and I'll think it came from the third dimensional plane. But once I pause to examine what I just heard, there is like an essence about it that feels a little bit different. Like it came from another dimensional plane. And like I said, it's very hard for me to put my finger on it. I very rarely mistake that it was actually part of the physical reality. Are you always able to distinguish or do you get it sometimes confused? I've had a, just a handful of times when like, I've heard someone say my name, you know, Patty, and it, it either wakes me up or I turn to see who's there because it like, it's just so clear that it sounds like it come from a human. You know, there have been a couple of times when I've seen a shadow or something walk across my house and I've gotten up with my baseball bat to check it out. And again, it was a shadow and not a full formed, you know, personal body, but it was enough that it made me question it. So I totally agree with you, but I think there are exceptions to the rule. And, you know, there are people that are so gifted that I have heard of that say that they see things or people as a ghost as clearly as they would see a physical human. And I would imagine that that could get really pretty intense. And I know everybody's different, but just on my experience, I have seen things manifest as clear, as real, as real, as 3D as anything, but there's almost like this, the edging of it, 
it's like almost like the very outer edge of whatever I'm looking at. Like all the middle parts could be fully solid and I can see every detail, but it's something about the edging of it. Like it's almost more liquidy or ethereal or, or it fizzes out rather than having that really sharp defined line to it. I, I really don't know how to explain it, but with clear audience, now that you mention it, I do feel like there's been a few times where it's hard to distinguish that that was actually something I didn't hear from the physical plane because it was that loud and that clear, but it's, it's very rare. It's few and far between that. I would hear something with that level of, of clear audience, whereas psychically clear audience, like when Patty and I are giving readings and I might hear a spirit say a phrase or a word, or we can hear them saying things. It doesn't sound the same as when somebody's speaking in the same room, but there is the sense of being able to hear it and hearing the words. Sure. Let's see. Next question. I have spiritually met my daughter and had psychics pick up on her presence. A spirit guide told me that I have things to learn before she can come in so that I can help her. Occasionally, she has had deep conversations with me. Am I crazy? Have you heard of or experienced this? Patty? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, I, I have read, and I know you have too, that we both have read people where they obviously have a little spirit around them wanting to come in and, and it feels like a future child. I have friends, not only clients, but friends that have known since a young age that they were going to have a daughter. This is what she was going to look like. This is what her name was going to be, that they already know each other. And even though that person is not a psychic, they do have this understanding that they know of each other and they talk to each other. Uh, this one friend that I'm talking about, I think she was like 12 when she knew this. So I would say, yes, that this can definitely happen. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're somebody who has psychic gifts and you're aware of that, you could know for many, many, many years that you have a spirit. And, you know, some people have, let's call it spirit children that never mean to incarnate in the physical plane. They just kind of carry around a spirit or have you ever had that Patty where somebody has a child spirit around them that never is actually meant to incarnate in the physical Yes. And, and I don't believe that we are obligated to have this baby. If this child shows up, you know, I've had people that were done having children or didn't want children and they have this little spirit hanging around them. For me, it's kind of like, like they've signed the contract and they're waiting to see if you're going to sign the contract. And I usually say that if this child doesn't come through to you, they may go off and, you know, find a, a totally different situation, or they may come in as your grandchild or your niece or something like that. So is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, I would say so. It's very, very rare, but it has happened once or twice where I saw somebody that had a child spirit that wasn't actually meant to incarnate, but for some reason there was, maybe they were acting sort of as like a guide or a companion or comfort oh, or interesting. maybe it was from another past incarnation. I mean, this is such a complex multiverse that we live in, and I don't think any one of us can really understand fully how it all works, but it's interesting, Patty, that you have also seen that, and I have seen that, so clearly it must be a thing. All right. A psychic told me that my soul contract with my husband is up. What does that mean, and what do I do? Yeah, soul contracts can definitely be up. It can be done. It can be complete. And sometimes part of the soul contract is you recognizing that and not perpetuating the same cycles with somebody over and over again. You are your own being and you can choose at any point what is and is not serving you any longer. It takes two to meet in the middle. You cannot give all your love and compassion and care and forgiveness towards somebody who's not ready to meet you in that same way. And it's sort of like pouring all of that energy into a black hole sometimes. And sometimes it's about loving and honoring yourself enough to walk away. And, uh, you know, that's in a situation if the relationship was toxic. Sometimes it's not toxic. Sometimes it's just two souls deciding, hey, we had a great run. I love you. I wish you all the best, but we're off to like, go have new experiences. But yeah, I think that uh, soul contracts can definitely be uh, done. I agree. Sometimes we come together for a specific reason to work out some karma, to balance one another lessons. And sometimes we reach that before we die, you know, and, and we're ready to move on. But one thing I want to bring up is that you said a psychic told you this. 
So let's say you went to see a psychic and they were 97% right on. That would be a really good psychic and amazing. So what if that 3% is a percentage where she tells you to leave your partner and you're madly in love and your relationship is going great. You don't go home and leave your partner. If you're having problems in your relationship and you suspect that this could be it and the psychic is validating that for you, it's great. If you're in a wonderful, thriving, amazing relationship and you're told this, here I am like telling you not to listen to psychics, a psychic telling you this, (laughs) but um, you know, people make mistakes and you need to pay attention to what feels right for you. A lot of times people go see a psychic and they end up getting validation. And if this, if you saw the psychic and you feel like they were validating something you kind of already knew, that's great. But again, you know, you always go with what you feel is right. And sometimes a psychic might tell you something that doesn't resonate with you. And then you find out in a year or two, it totally was correct. Sometimes you might get information that doesn't seem to pan out and energy is constantly shifting and moving. So again, just Go with what feels right to you and follow your own instincts on these things. You know, this just makes me think of some people who are clearly in a very challenging relationship with somebody, but they still feel like there's work to do. They still feel like there's something more. And that's really all you, you know, even if a psychic told you the contract is up, if you yourself feel like there's more to learn or more growth to be had with this person, then follow your own intuition at the end of the day. Don't just do what another psychic says. And I agree with that, Patty, but soul contracts is a thing. So I just want to say that it is a thing. Definitely, We have plans. We have sort of like a, an outline of goals that we're trying to reach with other souls. And sometimes we succeed and sometimes we fail. And then we come back and do it again and try to do better. Like that's a thing. And then sometimes we've learned and gained everything that we can from that relationship and it's time to move on. But yeah, that is a thing. Soul contracts. Yeah. Okay. Here's one for you. I'm going to read the next two together. How do synchronicities work? Why do they happen? Are signs, synchronicities, and divine timing created for humans to just generate hope or something else? I love synchronicities. Me too. They're the spice of life. Yeah. They're magic. Yeah. (laughs) That's what, you know, I think that they do totally generate hope. And, and they also help us know that there's more to life than, you know, just the, you know, going to work, feeding yourself, washing your clothes. It helps you know that there's more out there that, that there's sparkle and magic. And it also, for me, it reminds us that we have the ability to design our own lives. If we open up to this more, the more we recognize synchronicities, the more they come in, you know, it's kind of like we can make our lives really joyful and magical and, and much easier. Would you agree with that? Yeah, life without synchronicities would be really boring. (laughs) You know, I have synchronicities all the time. I actually had a client the other day who had a unique case, and I found myself referring to another reading that I had done way back at the beginning of my career, but somebody that I had not thought about or thought about that particular reading in a long, long time. In fact, I was like, this was something I saw a long time ago but here it is. And then an hour after I gave that person a reading, I ran into that person. Oh, I love that. That I had not seen since that time. And there they were. And so when I saw them, I was like, I was just thinking about you. And they were like, no way. And you know, we hadn't seen each other in years and years and years. And uh, I didn't want to bring up old stuff (laughs) what I was looking at, but yeah, synchronicities, but it, you know, it just made the day more fun. It just made it a little more interesting. I always call life like a movie, you know, those are like synchronicities. Keep it interesting. Part of the question is how do synchronicities work? Well, I've had visions of our reality sort of looking like this giant geometric grid. I've had super clear visions of it actually. And it's sort of like this web and everything is interconnected. All things are growing and flowing and they're all webbing out from each other. And I think it's just almost like a mathematical equation where things just sync up. I think that synchronicities are just so much part of the reality. I think they're almost inevitable. Is there anybody who never has synchronicities? Now that's a question. I have so many synchronicities. I couldn't imagine that nobody else ever sees them unless they're really maybe closed off or really not wanting to see, or they want to just write them off as soon as they happen to talk them away. I don't know. Patty, what's your thoughts? I agree with you. Okay. Next question, a little bit deeper. 
Any steps to releasing childhood trauma? There are so many ways that we can release childhood trauma or any trauma for that matter. There's many modalities, many things that we can do. And I say, whatever it takes, try them all. I can't even begin to tell you how many different things that I've tried that have worked for me and some work better than others, but just addressing, acknowledging that you have trauma, childhood trauma or trauma, even recently as an adult, just addressing and recognizing that there's something broken. There's something that still needs to be healed. I think already starts opening up that gateway for it to be healed. It's when we are in hard denial that some of these older energies are causing us problems in our current realities that's when nothing's really going to be mended. You know, I, I sometimes think that going through therapy helps us deal with it and bring it out rather than storing it or sticking it in the back of our chakras where we're affected by it day in and day out without even realizing it. But also pulling it outside of your physical body and looking at it as not belonging to you, as being something separate, that has helped me a lot. You know, you might call it a little bit of an out-of-body experience, but rather than trying to make sense of it or deal with it when you are in the middle of the emotions or feel that it is part of you to separate from it. And we, we've talked before about kind of dumping things out of your chakras and looking at them separate. That That's something that's helped me, but I think there's many, many um, practitioners and different therapies and modalities that can help with this. And this is layered work. It keeps going yeah. and it keeps going and it keeps going. You know, being somebody who's dealt with a lot of childhood trauma, I still deal with it. And I've been working diligently on it for a few decades now, like consciously working on my trauma and my wounds. And there's always seems to be a little bit more somewhere in there. I sort of look at trauma as like these programs that we've adopted in ourselves. And if you look at it as a program, we can deprogram it or looking as Patty said, separating it from self or looking at it objectively, looking at it as something that we can remove that is not actually a part of the purity of our true essence and our true being and not adhering to the program anymore of whatever, you know, that trauma made us believe or disbelieve in ourselves or how it disempowers us. There are so, so, so many, yeah, therapy, energy work, healing, sound healing, meditation. I mean, it goes on and on, but whatever it takes, that's almost like going to be my motto, whatever it takes, try it all. One of our more recent podcasts was on soul retrieval and that we talk a lot about childhood trauma and that might resonate with you. You could check in with that episode and see if that helps you. So we have a couple questions on meditating and I was going to refer you to our episode on meditation. And we just realized we haven't done an episode on meditation, which is nuts. Meditation's huge. So thank you for these questions. We will be doing an episode devoted entirely to meditation. And I know we've touched on meditation a little bit in some of our past episodes, but one of the questions is when we meditate, is it normal to see scenes or images or should we just be clearing our mind? Sometimes I get caught up in looking for something instead of grounding or breathing. You know, with meditation, there are no rules. Don't feel like you have to do something. I, when I meditate, all my meditations start out as visuals. I immediately start seeing scenes and images, and then I ask what that is and what that means, and then they form a little clearer, and then I usually get more information about them and as far as words in addition. That's just me. But I would say you should do both, and this is why. If you are a very visual person and you're able to meditate and get things visually, that's wonderful. But if you can slip into the void and experience something totally different, it's amazing. And I think we should always try to expand and explore and do things a little bit differently, but not feeling like you have to follow any specific rules and you should not put too much effort into it. When we put effort into things, we block it. So you need to go with the flow. Some days meditation's easy. Some days meditation's hard. Um, you know, ask for things to come in a little bit differently or ask to close your visions and let you get things in a different way and see what's happening. That would be my suggestion. Yeah, for me, I'm a super visual person. I love seeing and visualizing things when I'm meditating. I'm actually not very much of the blink minded, think of nothing type meditator, yeah, but, me neither. <laughs> but I do try to practice that sometimes just to see if I can get into that void. And for me, that void is pure contentment. 
Like I feel so content. I feel like I don't need anything. I don't need the visualization. I feel just happy just being. And that's about as clear to the blankness or the emptiness or the void that I can get to just being content in the here and the now. So if you are somebody getting visuals and you're being taken on these sort of like shamanic voyages in your inner mind's eye, go with it. Don't fight it. See where it takes you. Yeah. Um, you know, there's another question about any tips or pointers on meditation and we've just given you a few, but there's one meditation and I believe it's on my website for free download. And it is imagining that you're sitting in a snow globe and every time you have a thought or a thought comes through your mind, it's a little piece of snow that starts flying through the globe here. And you learn to work with your breath or with finding inner peace or quiet and whatever works for you. And again, you, you kind of play around experience, whatever works that makes those snowflakes kind of fall and settle, then you're on the right track. And then if one starts floating up, you just say, oh, there's one floating up. What's that? And then you find a way to calm your body. For some of us, breathing works. Some of us need visualizations for that. There are many different ways to quiet your mind. So you might be able to find a meditation a sample of a meditation or a guided meditation that helps kind of walk you in or get you there. And I'm like, Jude, I'm an extremely visual person. And there have been times when I've meditated and I'm like, oh, there's a tree. Oh, there's snow white. Oh, there's a raven. Oh, there's, you know, and it just got to be ridiculous. So it is nice to be able to quiet things down and just allow yourself to be guided out into the unexpected. And sometimes visions do that. Visuals, sometimes I think they can get in the way. For me, I love music and I have some friends who like total silence, but I really enjoy music. In fact, if I have a lot of that monkey mind, that chatter going on, I have the list of things and responsibilities and I can't seem to get away from it. I love putting on some very like mellow ethereal type music and it helps kind of draw me in and carry me into that inner mind, calm and peace, but that's not for everybody. I also really like to lay down when I meditate. Some people like to sit up. Some people like to stand. Some people like their eyes open and a dristy. Some people like them totally closed. I actually really love meditating. If I can see the sun behind my eyelids, I don't know why I just enjoy it, you know, or in pure blackness, it's going to be different for everybody. So it's hard to say, it's hard to say what the pointers are. Because there's so many great ways to meditate. Oh yeah. There's chanting and drumming and you can meditate dancing and walking and meditate with water. And there's so many different ways to do it. So just explore and experiment. And, you know, I think it's great that you get visuals. I think that's wonderful, but if you want to try something different then do it, but again, not because you have to, or feel that you should, and not with a whole lot of effort. I like this one walking meditation where you sort of just let your body guide you. You just go where your your heart or your vibe carries you. It's kind of nice to just go into an open field or out in the woods or somewhere in nature and don't have any clear direction on what you want to go walk and see, like not consciously choosing like, oh, I want to go see that rock over there. It's just kind of being in your center and seeing where your body guides you. I think that's a really kind of fun way to meditate too. Okay, here's another question. Why is it so important to be in nature? Well, it's not absolutely imperatively necessary to be in nature in order to survive, but why the heck wouldn't you want to be? Because I think it makes things a lot better. First of all, let's just talk about the energy is just so much pure and cleaner and untainted. And it's nice to reboot into those, you know, natural frequencies again. And uh, it can be very healing, very cleansing, recalibrating, you know, having said that not all places in nature are necessarily perfect. You know, I've been in clear cut woods that have only been freshly new grown back. And even though I'm in the trees, doesn't mean the energy is necessarily clean or what I really want to be in. I do think that your overall health and well-being definitely benefits from being outside in the air, in the sun, feet on the ground, to be more grounded, to be tuned in, to feel the wholeness of our reality. At the same time, if you can't or you don't desire it, I know people who hate being in nature. They love being in a box and that makes them feel more comfortable to each their own. In my personal preference, I like checking in with nature as much as I possibly can. I can't imagine grounding without getting out in nature. 
for me personally, if I'm having trouble grounding, if I can go outside, you know, if I can take my shoes off and do some earthing in addition to it, you know, I just feel so much more present in my body. And there's so many studies on this, you know, they've done studies where they've gone into big cities and they've put in a little tiny park or they've put in a rooftop garden and they found that it has a huge profound effect on mental health, physical health and joy and happiness to not only the people that visit that park, but the people that live around it. It's almost like the energy radiates out. You don't even have to go walk through the park. I agree, Jude, there's no set rules. And if you aren't a nature person, that's fine, but you might wanna Google it because the information and again, the, the studies that have been done are really, really fascinating. Right, there's actual science that backs up. Oh yeah, tons. Right, but teach their own if it's not your jam. It's not your jam. So the next question is what lessons have plants taught you? I'm not an herbalist, but I have a client and a friend who is an herbalist and I see her fairly regularly. And just in the last year, I have started getting psychic hits during readings on a plant or an herb. So like I'll see somebody and spirit will say, oh, they need to work with bay, you know, and I'll tell them I'm being told you need to work with bay. I have no idea what bay does. Google it. I'm going to check with my herbalist friend and get back to you. And I will text her and say, what does bay do? And it'll be like right in alignment with what my client needs. So it's kind of fun. It's a little scary. And, you know, I do let people know that I'm not an herbalist, but Plants, as far as wanting to assist people, have really started talking a lot with me. And this isn't something that I've asked for or that I've studied, but it's been coming through a lot. I work with a lot of dried things because I'm an incense crafter and I like to burn things. And so I know a little bit about some plants and some of the dried plants. I'll smell something and I'll grab it and utilize it for ceremony or ritual or something. But other than that, Plants are powerful. You know, we should totally do an episode on herbalism sometime, Jude, and have an herbalist on. That would be fun. Plants talk to people and they give us medicine and they ground us and they calm us. And we are of the earth and plants are of the earth. We're all still one. We're all still connected. You know, even though they're not human, they're part of us. Yeah. So many lessons from plants. I think that each plant has its own spirit, its own essence, its own consciousness. And if we know how to tune in and tap in with that, then there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn in the purity of just being or the purity of calm or love or the purity of joy or intuition. You know, there's different energies we can pick up from different plants. And and that's not just a theory. That's a knowing that I have when it comes to all plants. I really love working with flower essences. I've talked about that in previous episodes. Patty's more versed in the herbs. You can meditate with the plants. You can try to communicate. I believe that they have a consciousness to them. I think just like we can tune in, if we can quiet everything down, like we can tune into crystals, we can also tune into plants. Lots to learn through the plants. Definitely. Next question. Do ley lines exist and have any effect on the surrounding environment? Huge yes. What about you, Patty? Oh, definitely, definitely. So what ley lines are, is there a map of sacred geometry that connects sacred landmarks, historical structures, uh, vortexes here on earth? And if you Google it, it's fascinating to just see this beautiful, like sacred geometric map around the earth and then all these points, how things kind of come together. It's like a sacred geometry that connects all of the spiritual physical places on our planet. A few years ago, I went to a priestess pilgrimage in uh, England and we went to Avebury, which is a Neolithic stone circle. And we took dowsing rods. So dowsing rods, you know, they're, they're things you hold in your hand, little rods that have handles and you can't force them to move. They move on their own. Like you're holding onto something like a hollow straw and then there's a piece of metal coming through it. So they utilize dowsing rods to pick up on water in the earth, like to dig a well or something, because as you're holding these dowsing rods, they will cross or move when they're over water. When we were in Avebury, we had dowsing rods with us. And as you got close to this Neolithic circle, the rods would start to move on their own. And as you went up to each individual stone, they would actually spin around and go nuts. 
to be there and experience and feel that energy. You can definitely feel the energy in the stone circle. And this was right on the Michael ley line. And so we're in the stone circle. And when we get to the place where the actual ley line crosses through it, they would come back into alignment again. So it was really fascinating using the dowsing rods as a way to actually physically see the change of energy when you're around a ley line. It was fascinating. Very cool. I think too, with ley lines, it's like, you got to know that we live in sort of like a fractalized universe. So there's ley lines that go through the universe, the galaxy or solar system, this planet, there are grids within grids, within grids, within grids, and it can get, you know, finer and finer, the deeper in we look, but yeah, I definitely just know that there are flows and currents of energy that move between points. This is a question. What element do you feel most connected to? Well, for me, I'm an earth sign. I'm really grounded and earthy. So the element of earth would probably be mine, but I think it changes a lot depending on what my needs are or where I'm depleted. There are elements that are associated with the chakras. So I might be really craving being around water or getting out to the river or the ocean. And when that happens, I'll take a look at my sacral chakra because the element for the sacral chakra is water and see what's going on there. So for me, it depends. It changes quite a bit, but I would say if I had to pick one, it would be earth. And this is really fun because Jude and I were together in California and we're at my office and I have an elemental garden. So there are different areas of my yard devoted to different elements. And so we took some pictures in our elements and I went to the grounding to the earth element right away. And Jude, you went to air. Right. Which is also the element that I resonate with most. And it wasn't necessarily because I'm an air sign. I'm an Aquarius, which is people think is a water sign, but it's actually an air sign. I just really resonate with air. Air is like free flowing and moving and kind of like independent of everything else. It doesn't really follow any channel. And I'm kind of like that. <laughs> and uh, I've always resonated with air the most. But yeah, Patty, I'd have to agree. If I think of you, I definitely think of earth. You are totally an earth goddess to me. Well, and you air too. And again, we're posing. Right. You know, our, our posing energies. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, next question. How do you cleanse a crystal or stone after purchasing it before bringing it into your home or life? Is it possible to program a stone and do crystals or stones have connection to guides and spirit? I say yes on all of those things. I've personally experienced all of them. How do I clean a stone with intention? I just send it my love. I visualize a light over it. I keep it really simple, really sweet, straight to the point. But sometimes because I live on the island of Kauai and we have such beautiful waters there, I'll take the stones to the waterways and let them soak in there until they feel complete. I like setting them out in the sands, out in the dirt, in the soil, kind of bury them every once in a while, take them out into the moon, the moon cycles, any moon cycle, but full moons are really great new moons, if that's the energy you want to harness out in the rains. I mean, there's literally anything, sounds smudges, oils, kissing your stone, telling you, you love it. I mean, anything, it's all intention at the end of the day. That's how I feel. Can you program a stone? As I was saying earlier with plants, I believe there's a level of consciousness that exists in stones because they're part of nature. I have gifted stones to people and I have put my well wishes in those stones for them to have maybe more abundance or to protect their home or you know, whatever it is that I would like inject that intention into those stones, because I think stones are sort of like memory keepers. They'll, they'll lock frequencies in. That's that. And then our crystals connected to guides and spirit. I haven't had a personal experience where I thought my crystals were connected to specific guides, but I have felt consciousness in stones and I have communicated with them as though they were their own beings and their own entities. So I would call that, you know, an essence of spirit. Patty, what about you? hundred percent. Everything you said, the only thing that I would add is you can smudge. And again, here I am burning my things. I will oftentimes smudge my stones and invite them in, welcome them, have gratitude for them and ask them, set the intention that they work on my behalf and, and assist me. But that's great. Yeah. I agree with everything you said. All right. The next question is, what is your perspective on chemtrails and is our weather being manipulated by someone or something? 
Jude, I'm going to hand this one to you. Well, this question goes into that whole conspiracy theory section, which I'm not hard on any of the conspiracy theories. I don't really like to obsess or give too much energy into any of them because I really, I'm more into that empowered, like I'm going to create my own reality and see it as I choose. Having said that, I know people who are super obsessed with things like chemtrails and you know what? They see them all the time. And not that I'm trying to be ignorant of it, but I think when people put a lot of focus and energy on something for the sake of example, it's like, I'm standing next to this other person and all they see is chemtrails in the sky. And all I see is a beautiful sun and a beautiful day. And I feel light and are charged and this person's living in fear to each their own. But I cannot confirm or deny that chemtrails are anything, but I try to focus more on what are my energy emissions? Where am I focusing my energy? If you want to focus your energy on conspiracy theories and negativity and fear, then that's what you're going to see. And that's what you're going to get. I always tell people to keep their eyes on the prize, like focus on this world being healed, connectiveness, food, shelter for all love, you know, and when you start focusing your lens on that, that's what you'll see. And that's the reality you'll receive. And the more of us that do it, the stronger that reality becomes for, for everybody. So chemtrails may or may not be a thing, but it's just something that I choose not to focus my energy on. It's not the reality I want. Good answer. Okay. How are we affected by the Akashic record? And again, we are going to devote an entire episode in the future to this. But for those of you that aren't familiar with the Akashic record is Akashic record is a dimension that holds every event, idea, thought, action that has happened, either past, present, and future for the entire universe. Everything that's happened to you in all of your incarnations, every thought you've had, every deed you've done, but not only for you personally, but for the entire universe. Some people think of it as a giant database or as a library. It's been called the Book of Life by Edgar Cayce. And there are people that access the Akashic Record to gain information, insight, um, to read into the future, to have a better understanding of their own experiences, how we are affected by it. How would you answer that part, Jude? I don't know if we're so much affected by it. First, I want to acknowledge that I do believe there is a plane of existence that holds all information, whether we want to call that Akashic or whatever, you know, those are just terms. But yeah, I do definitely believe there's a dimensional plane that holds sort of like the codes to everything. And some people are open, their consciousness is open enough to tap into that and willingly retrieve information. Maybe in some realm, Patty and I are doing that. I don't actually see it as like I'm stepping up into the Akashics and pulling information out. I, I don't know exactly where I'm going to get that information. Maybe it's Akashics. But uh, I guess I would say it affects us in the way that I think that maybe all the codes or all the template of this reality exists within that space. And maybe we pull these thoughts and ideas and these different cultures and languages and the evolution of everything is stored in these Akashics. So I don't know. It's like a chicken and egg kind of thing. Like what happens first? Is it all there? And then we pull from it or are we adding to it in real time? Yeah, exactly. And the second question on this is what is your experience with that? And you've kind of already answered that. And I think we're similar there. I have deliberately gone to the Akashic record during all my classes, my psychic classes, but I don't feel that I specifically use it. I feel like if there's information that I'm supposed to pass on to a client or something I'm supposed to know about myself, I ask and it's delivered to me. I don't really ever go searching for it specifically. I just ask the question or open up to it and it comes to me. So I think that's similar to what you were saying. I feel like we maybe access it without intentionally accessing it. Right. So I could see it as a great focal point for people who are trying to tap into that and giving it a name and giving it a point of focus. But I would assume that that's kind of what we're doing, but we just don't label it that. I do believe there is kind of this plane of existence that has and holds all information of all things, past, present, and future, for sure. 
And these next two questions are totally for you, Jude. So I'll read them and hand them over to you. Any thoughts on Reiki? What are the benefits of Reiki for mediumship development? And Jude is a, I believe, level two Reiki practitioner. So she's the person to answer this question. My thoughts on Reiki is I love it. I think everybody should have that basic skill set, just like alphabets and uh, basic math. I think everybody should have basic Reiki. You know, there's a lot of schools of thought on it because once long ago, it was this coveted thing and it was very rare. And now it's probably the most widely used modality. It's the most accessible. And I think that's honestly a really great thing. I think it's just this very simple form of understanding focus and tapping into higher frequencies and learning how to channel those energies to bring healing to somebody or bring some level or some form of healing to people. And I think this is an important skill set that everybody should have. I, for one, am very appreciative of the fact that it is so widely used and so accessible. And I do think it's one of those things that everybody should know. And I don't think you have to go to master level, even a Reiki one certification, certification or not, just understanding what Reiki is, tapping into that healing prana, channeling it in through and focusing it towards somebody for healing, I think is a kind of a basic skill that everybody should have. I mean, if anything, it can add calm to a situation. It has had miraculous healing effects for people. It can diminish pain. It can diminish anxiety. It's just kind of that loving touch. Some people naturally have it without even knowing they have it. And some people can tap into it and focus those energies. And the benefits of Reiki for mediumship development. Yeah, it's asking you to stretch your mind and your perception of this reality and trusting that there's more that exists beyond this physical plane. So I think, yeah, it's a great exercise. It's not that far of a stretch from what Patty and I talk about a lot about drawing in light into your body through the chakras to do that cleanse. It's very similar to Reiki. We've barely scratched the surface on the number of questions that we've had and we have so many more interesting questions that we didn't get to. What we're going to do is we're going to answer some of these questions at the end of future episodes, but we also have this really fun idea where we're going to individually answer the questions on our Instagram. So if you're not following at spirit speakers podcast, you can tune in there and we'll start addressing some of the questions there on Instagram. And I think that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's just a shame that we don't have hours and hours and hours to devote to this. We kind of categorized these questions and we just covered some of the basic ones. We've got some really philosophical questions beyond these. There's questions about Pleiadians and Lemurians and courting beyond death. There's so many interesting questions. Like Jude said, we will figure out a way to get these answered and out to you because they are definitely worth addressing. Yeah. Thank you so much for everybody who took the time to write into us. I hope you enjoy the new logo and the new website. And as always, we are very appreciative if you hit our donate button that is located either on our link tree, on our Instagram, or on our website, spiritspeakerspodcast.com. Yes. And thank you for listening. Thank you for all the wonderful feedback with most of these questions were an attached little love note or gratitude. And that means so much to us. And thank you for spreading the word and telling people about us. Just know that we love and appreciate you until next time. Aloha. Take care.